Green Divas and Green Dudes come in many shades of green. Here to help you discover and celebrate your personal shade of green are hosts Green Diva Meg and Maxine Margot, veteran radio chicks who share important news about climate change and the plight of human existence, but somehow manage to make most of it fun and sexy using at least 50 shades of green. Welcome to Fifty Shades of Green Divas. You're on with Green Diva Meg. And Green Diva Max. We'll be in your headset or your speakers for the next eh, half hour. At least, you know. And you could just keep playing the shows over and over again. (laughs) And then it would be an hour, two hours, you know. Put all the episodes in your uh, phones and you can listen anytime. Tune in and turn on a friend. How about that? And tune in and get green. Hey, and you know Or green up while you're listening. I don't know. You know how we talk every time about uh, our social media and we (laughs) go through this whole thing about how we don't have 50 shades (laughs) of green demons? Right, because we have such big empires of other things. Yeah, yeah, right. (laughs) Piles of other things. Piles of stuff. I don't know. I don't know if it's empire, but it's piles for sure. Yeah, piles. But I finally got us a Twitter. Yoo! Woohoo! Yeah. So, folks, we'd really appreciate it. And we'll be uh, churning out some great stuff and retweeting all of you and following and having fun at 50 Shades of GDS. GDs. 50 Shades of GDs. 50 Shades of GDS. GDs. You got it. And it's 50 Shades depending on the day. Yeah, any shade of green any day. And it's very green now, you know. Wow, it's verdant, a, isn't it? Verdant is a très beautiful, <laughs> très magnifique. Vive la France. Oh, yeah. Macron, eh, okay. Uh, well, vive mm. la France. They mm-hmm. finally, they at least have right. some brain cells. Right. And learned, perhaps, what not to do. They used a Le Pen and they mocked in Macron. <laughs> that's, uh, that's so cute. We lie. Just, that's that was good. Once in a while, I come out with something silly. So we have a fishy show today, just saying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not French, it's fish. It's fishy. Vichy soi. I don't know. But yes, we have a fishy show today. Yeah. Uh, we have a young man on who's terrific. Yeah, we're going to talk about sustainable fisheries, mm-hmm. what that means, and what you need to know mm-hmm. about uh, sustainable fish, which, you know, I, I'm always learning. There's, mm-hmm. I, I was pretty shocked. At, I, I thought a fishery was one thing. But it isn't. But it isn't. Yeah, I know. And you'll find out what that is. So in the meantime, Max did a little homework on, like, anything that might be relevant for yeah. our opening here. Yeah, well, you know... We always like to kind of have the opening so banter, our witty banter. We, we have our banter, and 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 hopefully some of it ties into what our guest uh, does and and talks about. And since we have a marine biologist on today, Noah Bressman, he's terrific. I was just googling things, you know, Google googling, <laughs> and and um, I was figuring what might be interesting, you know, to talk about, and <laughs> came across this. So here's the story. Tish was the world's oldest goldfish. It sounds like you're about to launch into like a poem. I love this. And died at the age of 43. Hey, you know. 
Later in life, Tish faded from his natural bright orange to a more distinguished silver. So with age, with age, he got silver, like you get gray hair. Right. Uh, fish are no different. Yeah. They turn from their, well, this fish anyway. Yeah. Uh, so his owner said the secret of Tish's long life was not being overfed and being placed in the sun occasionally. So which makes me believe, like, I should stop eating some be, things yeah, and just that, sit outside when it's nice. Wouldn't it be good advice for most of us? Right. Don't overheat and get outside. Right. That's it. It's a very British it's, thing, it's, right? It's, this, it's, this it's, is it's a British a, guy. Yes. So, so Tish was one at a fair in Doncaster, England in 1956 <laughs> and was buried in a yogurt pot in the garden of his owner, in Yorkshire, England in 1999. So British. So understated. A yogurt pot. Come on. A yogurt pot. Right. And yogurt was spelled G-Y-O-G-H-U-R-T because British. there's all yeah. British. You know, I've got some British blood in me and um, every so often I feel like having tea, and, but I've never had a goldfish. That's so funny. So that was a fish tale that I had a report on. Rest in peace, Tish. Yes, Tish. Let's have a moment for Tish. Let's have a moment for Tish. Tish the fish. Without laughing, right? Okay. Yeah, well, there's other things in our little uh, what you find on the internet. So, yeah, this other thing you found was, sorry, Tish, we're just going to launch right into it. Sorry, Tish, we did have our moment for you. And um, being the oldest goldfish, I don't even know if you're in the Guinness Book of Records. We'll have to check that. The old, how do they certify that? I know, right? <laughs> you know, I don't, I, I don't know. We, I guess too many Guinness beers and you won't care. Exactly. So, but that's okay. And then, then I came across why fishing is better than sex, courtesy of Jim, and it says Lead Rod Bolin Sr. Okay, so for those of you that want to know why. Well, there's 20 of them, so I don't know if I'm going to go through all Just of hit that. the highlights. Uh, well, you know, well, we're talking about why fishing is better than sex. Uh, <laughs> one is it's perfectly acceptable to pay a professional to fish with once in a while, you know, so that's okay. Uh, it's also perfectly respectable to fish with a total stranger. Uh, yeah, yeah. When you see a really good fishing person, you don't have to feel guilty about imagining the two of you fishing together. <laughs> There's no problem with that. My husband's going to love this. He's uh, an angler. Nobody expects you to fish with the same partner for the rest of your life. Yeah, there you it, go. It's, it's, you know, it's Monogamous okay. fishing, not uh, happening. And um, your fishing partner will never say, not again. We just fished last week. Is fishing all you ever think about? <laughs> And, oh, come on. These are great. Uh, so it's like, um, I mean, I don't know if I should use this one. This is the most risque on the list. Oh, go for it. A limp rod is still useful while fishing. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm um, kind of leaving with it. <laughs> Bit of boom. <laughs> Bit of B. Yeah, and, uh, and, and any fish you wish, you can you know, always figure out what you're going to catch. That's but, pretty funny. But I thought those were the highlights of, right. this, of this list of fish. So. so we had like a serious moment with Tish. Right. Rest in peace, Tish. Rest in peace. And then, um, and then we had some strange, you know, why fishing is better than sex. I don't Hey, when you think of Fifty Shades of Green Divas, this topic needs to be addressed. It's part of the yeah. You know, it's part of the it's thing. It's part of the thing. It's part of the thing. So uh, listen, we have a great interview with Noah 
Bressman. Right. Um, and in the meantime, go to thegreendivas.com and you can see the latest Fifty Shades of Green Divas there on the radio show podcast page. Find us on Facebook, The Green Divas, or The Many Shades of Green. And now on Twitter, we have... Yeah, we're finally... Uh, we're, we're really getting out there. And, and soon Instagram, too, huh? Yeah, you know, we'll, that's we'll, next. Right, and we'll, we'll try to find a picture. We're of, not going to rush into any of this. We're going to find a picture of Tish <laughs> for our first Instagram one. Stay tuned. Uh, this is James Cromwell, and you've been fortunate enough to be listening to Fifty Shades of Green Divas, a wonderful program you should support. Thank you. Do you suffer from allergies and chemical sensitivity? Then it's time to incorporate the EnviroClean system. Utilizing patented technology, the EnviroClean system safely and effectively neutralizes toxins without leaving behind harmful VOCs. From the solid and upholstered surfaces that surround us, to the clothes we wear, to the very air we breathe, EnviroCleanse provides personal environment protection for everyone. Use code GREENDIVAS to get 20% off site-wide at EnviroKLENZ.com. We have a, a wonderful guest. We're talking about fish out of water, fish in water. <laughs> uh, it's, it's something that people obviously uh, are interested in because there's so much ocean in this world. And so Noah Bressman... Uh, is a marine biology uh, biologist. Uh, he graduated from Cornell University, uh, and he was the founder and president of the Cornell Fishing Club, which fostered a community of sustainable fishermen on campus and in the community. Um, he's currently performing a Ph.D. in biology with a focus on fish at Wake Forest University, and he's also on the fishing team. We're going to talk about the fishing team. Really? And he has... Vast experience as an angler, a marine biologist, and it gives him a very unique perspective from multiple sides on fisheries, management issues, and the, the world of water. So welcome, Noah. Hey, Noah. Hi, thanks for having me. Uh, it's great to have you on. Hey, did you know that my grandfather invented, um, and I think he patented, a way of um, farming trout? Really? Oh, cool. I, I kid you not. Up in the Berkshires, up in Sheffield, Massachusetts, he bought this old farmhouse because it had a natural spring that actually ran underneath the house. He built a lake across the street called – they called it Berkshire Lake like it had been there forever, but he built it. And they mm -hmm. called it Lake Tuba because that was his nickname. And he had this – I and honest to God, I couldn't describe it to you. Some other family member of mine might be better at this. And mm -hmm. I for, if I had remembered before the, just this very second – On the light bulb went on. I would have like brought some info about that because it was kind of cool. Interesting. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Like anybody cares. Uh, but maybe well, Noah does. Noah must care. He, he went that's cool. Right? Yeah, no. Uh, I'll, anything about fish always interests me. Yeah. Can um, I ask you why fish? Was there a you know just an early onset of fish stuff? That oh, nobody really knows where it came from. <laughs> I was just like I was born and just loved fish. No rational explanation. Like my dad was a lawyer. My mom, uh, she works for a sustainable education organization. But really, 
the fish was just an independent thing and nobody really knows where it came from. <laughs> you just always like fish. He used to jump in the lake in Gedney Park. Yeah. You know, that's probably what happened, right? <laughs> and when the dog jumped in, you went in, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, um, went in after the fish too. Yeah, they have, they, they need your help now because I think they have, uh, they had some algae problem, but now I see a lot of these, these pumps or fountains in there. Maybe okay, they, so just a little background. These yeah. two live in right. the same area in right. Chappaqua, New York, right. so that's they're referring to some lake that we don't know about. The it's rest it's of a us. park. It's called Gedney Park, and it's a very nice park. Uh, Apparently, and they have a little kind of water pondy kind of thing. So maybe that's where Noah picked stuff up. Hey, you never know. So I used to fish there all the time when I was a kid. So hey. there, that's it. Boy, that that was. Oh, that was right when I got to drive. I used to fish at the uh, the little duck pond right in the center of Chappaqua because I could always walk to that from my house. Mm-hmm. Since, since I was like 10, I would always just walk to the pond and walk back and go fishing. There you go. So I probably saw you on the road as I'm passing by. Who's that kid I fishing? I was the only person never really fishing there because nobody thought there was fishing there. So if you saw someone fishing, that was probably me. And what you get, sunnies? I got some. There were some giant bass and these like five-foot eels in there and... All sorts of other weird stuff that people just, like, release from fish tanks. I saw a two-foot goldfish, and nobody really knew about it. And I was just – I actually, what was it? In middle school, I wrote uh, a little piece on the fish biodiversity in there for uh, Newcastle Now, uh, like a little local right. uh, wow. uh, site. Wow. I had no idea what was in that pond. See, now you know. I mean, I thought, you know, Bigfoot might come out. He knows how he did. I, n- I never knew that. <laughs> So, so you're you're very much a proponent of sustainable fishing and sustainable Absolutely. and sustainable management of fisheries. Uh, what does that entail? How does one uh, yeah, let's become a, sustain, a, sustain, a sustainable management of of fish? How do you do that? Okay, well, I'll give you like a scenario. So imagine you have a, a fishery with the maximum the fi- uh, amount of fish in the fishery is a hundred fish. And if you're at and every every year the uh, the reproduction rate is uh, times two. So let's say you're in a fishery and you catch uh, 50 fish. So now you, now it's down from 100 to 50. The next year it uh, it'll double back to 100, and you can keep sustaining that. It'll go down 50, then double back to 100, and you keep sustaining that. And the population is not going down. And that's how a sustainable fishery works. It's it's your, your, that's actually called a maximum sustainable yield, where you're taking as much fish out to maximize profits while the population isn't going down. And that's key is if it goes down, then everything gets skewed. So even if you overfish by, let's say, five fish, so you catch 55 fish in one year, uh, and then it goes down to 45, and then it doubles to 90. But then if you continue fishing, if you go back to that rate of 50, then you're down to 40, and then it goes back to 80, and then it goes down to 30. So you always have to be constantly adjusting the catch rates based on how the fish populations are doing. Mm-hmm. And sometimes there's some scientific uncertainty, so they put a so they'll limit catch quotas based on the uncertainty. But overall, the the key is not taking too many fish out uh, that can't be reproduced, that can't be uh, replenished the next year. So if you do that, then you don't change and you don't change anything, then the, the fishery will get overfished and eventually collapse. Okay, so here's my question right off the bat. Is a fishery uh, where farm-raised fish would be? Like if I see a fish 
for sale and it says farm raised. Is that from a fishery? Um, that's that's not that's not from a fishery. That's uh, that's uh, fisheries referred to wild fish populations, and uh, it's like a fish population that's exploited. So you, let's say you have the north uh, in the northeast bluefin tuna fishery. That's it's it focuses on one species and one wild population. And the fishery, there's all sorts of fishery activities uh, and a bunch of people involved in those fisheries. But the, the fishery is the wild population itself that is being exploited. Okay. And somebody is obviously doing some monitoring and that way those who attempt to, to fish sustainably are able to, you know, they know what they have to put back or whatever. I don't understand. Yeah. So you have the uh, you have the National Oceanic Atmospheric Administration, NOAA. And uh, there's also the national, oh, the national Marine Fisheries Service is part of that, mm-hmm. and they monitor the fisheries. They have scientists out there that uh, some some out on boats, uh, some catching fish to kind of see how many numbers are there, and they also take information from the fishermen, seeing how many fish they're getting. They do a lot of uh, statistics and mathematical uh, mathematical modeling, and then they get out uh, like they have good predictions on. Um, based on like the reproductive rate and the health of the population, okay. they have good predictions on how many fish that should be. So is something like Oceana, the organization that has the sustainable seafood guide? Yeah, like the, what is it, the, uh, the Seafood Watch from Monterey Bay Aquarium. Yes, stuff. yes. You there? Yeah. Um, yeah. So that, that stuff is, uh, they, they look at some, some fisheries are managed better than others. Okay. So let's say, for instance, uh, a poorly managed fishery is, uh, let's say, the blue, uh, bluefin tuna fishery. That's that's um, that's a very controversial fishery because you have uh, bluefin tuna. Um, the North Atlantic population is uh, labeled as critically endangered, but they have such high value. Um, some bluefin tuna uh, individual fish have been sold in Japanese seafood auctions for $1.7 million. Whoa. So there's extreme. So when, when you're trying to limit the catch of those kind of fish, money can outweigh the, the, the quota sometimes that are being set. Wow. So, so that's what that factors into like some of the fish that you shouldn't eat, but then there's some fish that are okay to eat. So there's things like, let's say um, wild pole caught mahi mahi. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's a more sustainable fish because it's got a very high reproductive rate. Um, and after, like, once it's born, hatches from the egg. Three years later, it's 55 pounds, and they have a really fast life cycle, really fast reproductive rate. Okay. And if you get them line caught, usually if they're a rod and pole caught, uh, it's one hook, one line. So you're catching one thing at a time, and you're making sure that you're only catching that right, fish. Right, Whereas right. something like the, uh, let's say you have a bottom trawler, which is just scooping up everything on the bottom. You're gonna, let's say, you're doing that for flounder. You're going to get a lot of flounder, but you're also going to get everything else that's on the bottom. Mm-hmm. The different methods are also less sustainable. So if you're scooping everything up, destroying the habitat, that gets factored in. That's why bottom trawling is, is usually one of the more destructive ways, uh, fishery, uh, one of the more destructive types of fisheries. Okay. So, so how does a consumer know that the fish they're eating is safe? Yeah. Um, so some, something people can do is sometimes uh, more and more recently, there's uh, the Marine Stewardship Council that it, it'll give you official seal of approval that's sustainably sourced seafood. So that's the way if you're at a supermarket, you can see that uh, it's like, oh, this has got these uh, marine steward 
sustainability right. a-okay so it's all good uh-huh. and then there's some sometimes in restaurants uh they're now they're saying like sustainably caught or sustainably formulated and they're trying to make a big point of that uh trying to there's a whole uh, eat local sustainable movement and they want to uh, some chefs and restaurants want to get in on that so, so then there's some certain fish in general that you can that you should certain seafood in general that you should avoid and some you should prefer in so terms of sustainability uh or health or both um both actually the the ones that are less healthy tend to be the more unsustainable ones so those are the really large fishes like tuna and shark and swordfish those are really large fish that take that take longer to reproduce um but because they're so, uh, so large as such type of the food chain uh mercury accumulates in yeah, in all the food they eat, and then, then they eat uh, what eats. Uh, so then it just keeps. It's called biomagnification. So it's just so high up on the food chain uh, that, let's say, mercury, a little bit of mercury in plankton that gets it is eaten by uh, herring, and then herring magnifies that in its body by eating all this plankton with mercury, and then the, then let's say uh, mackerel eat the herring, and then so you get shark that eat the mackerel. So it, it bio accumulates and biomagnifies in in the tuna or the swordfish or the sharks. And that's how gotcha. you get really high concentration of mercury. Huh. And uh, can I just ask a question about something I recently read about uh, salmon coming in from the Pacific is now mm-hmm. has tapeworms or some crazy stuff they're finding. Is that, that's gross. <laughs> um, I haven't heard about the tapeworms and stuff, but if, if that is coming, I'm, my guess is that's from the farmed uh, fisheries in on the West Coast? Well, so the, 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 actually, yeah, the story actually, and I wish I had it in front of me, I hadn't thought about researching it beforehand because I'd forgotten about it, but it said that it's now coming in from the wild-caught Atlantic. So I don't know whether they got mixed up with the farm-raised guys and got corrupted. So <laughs> with, uh, with the wild – okay, so, um, so most of the salmon that's farmed on the West Coast is actually Atlantic salmon. It's the species Thalmos salar, the Atlantic salmon. Um, and so they said, uh, so they brought a lot from the west, from the east coast over to the west coast. And then they started farming these in a lot of really tight pens where waste accumulates and disease spreads really rapidly through the fish. Mm-hmm. The big problem I know is at least sea life that spreads really quickly. And then some of these salmon will escape. Uh, and then uh, that may be where the wild Atlantic salmon are on the west coast. And because they're, dise- they're disease ridden, they'll help uh they'll spread more diseases through the the wild and uh the, through the environment through the ecosystem well that doesn't uh, sound sustainable does species. it while like farm salmon may sound sustainable it's generally uh it's not actually a sustainable practice mm-hmm. um while you can farm some fish sustainably uh the the salmon uh um, at least a lot of the salmon uh fish uh fish farming industry is actually not sustainable yeah. and they'll even uh, like inject chemicals into the into the flesh to make it get that mm. pink color because they're not having that natural diet, so they don't get that natural salmon pink color. Uh, Yuck! Okay. Eating fish. I don't eat fish, so yeah, I, I'm not I, much I, I, don't, fish I don't have that issue. But there are you know billions of people that eat fish. Um, what about the Fukushima stuff? Apparently, that that the fish now on the west coast are also showing up with higher levels of radiation. Do you know anything about that? Um, I don't, but I believe that I, I was, I was, when that first happened, they were worried about all the animals going around. And I mean, there's some things like they've seen like rabbits born without ears and that stuff around Fukushima. And then, uh, 
the, I, I would, would imagine something like, like after the, uh, the bombs were dropped in Japan in World War II, there was seen a lot of radiation issues with the seafood around there. People having the seafood and getting radiation poisoning. It's possible with, some, with the Fukushima uh, incident, but uh, I, I, I'm not knowledgeable about that okay. subject. Well, maybe there's hope. Well, there's so much going on. I mean, uh, we'll have to have you back to probably do a whole show on the on the China issue and overfishing and what's <laughs> going on over there with Africa and Senegal. And it, it's just mm-hmm. a, a mess with the overfishing. So that's a huge topic. But um, I'm curious, and we will have you back to, to, to discuss that, I think, because it would take much more time than we have. Um, yeah, I'd love to be back. I'm, I'm, I'm just wondering, you're a scientist, and, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of, uh, in this current uh, political atmosphere and what's going on in the U.S. especially, uh, scientists are, are, are getting a bad rap, but now they're kind of saying, hey, enough of this crap, Then they had a march. Um, and I was how, at that march. Oh, so how did that go, and how was the... How are the scientists now breaking into into the world of politics? Um, so the march went pretty well. I was amazed by how many people were there, and I just recognized so many people from conferences and stuff. So many friends are there. Just here to see the whole scientific community getting together and, and standing up for science. Um, and from this, like I, I noticed through the march, some people got motivated. Uh, I know some people kept telling me like they're going to run for like local office, like they're running for the school board, mm-hmm. or they're running for let's say the, their state uh, senate or something like that. Uh, and I even actually started running for office to try to to try to do my own part. If uh, really? the politics won't listen to the science, then maybe the science will get part of the politics. Yeah, what? is Wait, that so, the Mid Atlantic Fisheries Council, or is that yeah, something so else? I'm, that's the Mid-Atlantic Fisheries Council. So I'm running for an appointment to the, the New York State at-large position on the Mid-Atlantic Fisheries Management Council. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, the council that makes management decisions such as like who can catch how many fish, uh, what, what, when the seasons are, what the catch limits are. And that's from New York to North Carolina in the exclusive, ec- uh, uh, exclusive economic zone. So that's the zone three to 200 miles from the shore all the way from New York to North Carolina. And I'm running to be on the council that manages uh, yeah. that. Uh, well, good luck. Yeah, yeah let, let us know what happens with that. I'm personally interested on many levels. But uh, I, I know that you would be a great asset to that. And, and being uh, a young, you know younger individual but a very smart mm-hmm. individual, they can, they can use you so very much. And um, – so I'm, I'm keeping keeping my toes crossed. So anyway, thanks so am I. We'll see. You'll you'll keep me posted, right? I hope. Yeah, I'll let you know what happens with that. I'll find out in the end of June uh, who gets the the appointment. Okay. All right. We're hoping. Hopefully, that it's it, me. I'm hoping it's we'll we're hoping it's you. So yeah, uh, yeah. so uh, quickly, what 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 are you working on at, at your PhD right now? Before so your PhD? I'm just starting. I'm just starting my PhD, but I um, I have a whole five-year project that I'm planning out right now, uh, roughly five. You'll see how long the PhD lasts. Okay. But, um, so my specialty is I study fish on land. So I study how they move around on land, why they move around on land, adaptations allowed to move around land, and different behaviors and sensory biology on, of fish on land, which may sound weird, but there are, a lot of amphib- <laughs> there are some amphibious fishes. So some fish... Uh, that are actually specifically some some that are invasive in the U.S. Like if there's a big scare, let's say a decade ago, about snakehead fishes. 
These are fish from Southeast Asia that got released in the U.S. from a combination of the pet trade and from uh, the live fish uh, uh, markets. And so people uh, release the snakeheads in the wild, and these fish will move around over land uh, from one body of water to another body of water, which is a really big problem uh, for controlling the spread because they're pretty harmful species. They'll eat native fish, and uh, particularly like they'll eat small bass, and everyone, um, every Fishermen that uh, love to catch the bass, uh, largemouth bass, smallmouth bass. Bass fishing is a huge industry in the U.S. And you and should so that's just causing see, big you, problems on there. You should just see our and, faces. We're just cringing. Yeah, we're kind of cringing in the can studio. I, can just I tell you the a description? Story? Wait oh. a minute. We had this river that was like across the backs, uh, across the street in the back, like, you know, I don't know, 150, 200 yards away. And uh, one heavy, heavy rain. I came out and there was like a small lobster in my driveway. And I'm like, <laughs> first of all, what the hell is this and why is it in my driveway? Why is there a baby lobster in my driveway? It turns out it was a crayfish, and but I still don't know how it got there. And, you know, we theorized that maybe a bird was carrying it or, you know, I don't think it crawled all the way over there. No way. Wow. But is well, that the kind of thing you're looking I'm at? That's what trying to find out. Okay. So that's something I'm trying to find out. So you have these fish that are moving around over land and some, even things like crayfish, but nobody actually understands how they get from point A to point B over land. So I'm trying to do experiments to see, like, what, what sensory cues. So do they use vision? Do they use uh, smell? And, like, do they are attracted to shiny objects? Are they attracted to shade? I try to figure out what, how they're going around on land in order to prevent the spread of them. So that you, if you know how they're spreading, you can hopefully do something Well, that. I wish I knew you then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that would have been helpful to see. That's pretty – That was just the weirdest thing. That's freaky. It was. It <laughs> Ser- was. Seriously mm-hmm. freaky. But what what do you do? You All know? right. So now if, if we have to wrap up, but can you tell us, like, our audience, if they're interested in learning more about maybe what you're doing or, or – any general sites that you might recommend for someone who wants to learn more about sustainable fishing? Well, if you want to, if for people who are interested in my research, um, I have, um, if you just Google me and um, all my, all the research I'm doing pops up, I have a Instagram. It's Noah with fish where I post a lot of uh, my experiences with fish, um, both fishing, fish research and my fish art that I do. And I also have a, a blog, Noah and Carl with Fish. Uh, it's facebook.com slash Noah Carl Fish. And I'll talk about uh, the biology behind some of the fish that I catch. So that's one way if you want to look at w- uh, what I'm doing. If you're interested in learning more about uh, sustainable fisheries, a good way is to go, um, go look at Monterey Bay Aquarium site, yep. one of the greatest aquariums in the world. Yep. And they have a really nice uh, seafood watch uh, app and booklet. Um, and that allows you to learn what seafood is more sustainable. So, like, maybe and that allow you to make smarter decisions. Like, maybe I should avoid having this or maybe not have this as often and go for the more sustainable choice. Thanks so much, Noah. Thank you. All right. All right. Take care. You've been listening to The 50 Shades of Green, a collaborative gig between the Green Divas and the Many Shades of Green radio shows, happily recorded at Green Diva Studio. Be sure to look for this and other Green Diva Network podcasts and The Many Shades of Green on iHeartRadio, iTunes, SoundCloud, Spreaker, and Stitcher, among other places. You can find more information about this show and much more on thegreendivas.com. <laughs>